Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 24th of February 2013, entitled Perseverance. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 to 18. Here's Pastor Lou Guadano. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians tonight. One last time. One more message. Book of Ephesians chapter 6, I'd like to look at those armor of God passages. The Bible says in 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation, and that's what we're talking about tonight, of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Um, tonight, as we kind of just kind of have this thought of perseverance, the Bible mentions that word there, and certainly it talks about the whole armor of God. Perseverance, uh, the word is not mentioned. Uh, really a lot in the Bible. Um, it may only be mentioned here. I, I believe I looked it up you know, quite a, a while ago and I was looking at that thought, but it, the principle is taught obviously throughout the whole Word of God. Perseverance, perseverance, to, to, to keep on going. Perseverance, perseverance. We're talking about perseverance and we're talking about that principle in the Word of God. And um, we want to finish our course. We want to impact our world. But we're going to have to persevere. And uh, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be times when it seems like, boy, we're going through just battle after battle after battle. And when you're in the thick of things, sometimes, you know, we can look back at a period in our life and we can say, wow, that was only like two months. But boy, those were like the darkest two months, you know, I ever, have ever had in my entire life. And it seemed like it drug on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's where that perseverance comes in. Hopefully, if we're equipped, hopefully if we're strong when we go in, and, you know, that's why we, we say read your Bible, pray, do all these things because we're trying to gather strength because eventually we'll be in a storm. We talked a lot about the home this week. And, um, you know, one thing you don't want to do is start, you know, patching up and boarding up the house in the middle of a storm. You know, I mean, in the middle of the hurricane is not the time to get out there and fix the roof and board up the windows and everything else. But that's what happens. It seems like we don't do the maintenance. We don't do the, 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 the things that we need to do. And all of a sudden, boy, a storm hits in our marriage or in our home or in our church or wherever it may be. And all you can do is hold on for dear life and wait till the storm subsides. So what we want to do is we want to properly prepare. We talked about that this week. 
We want to properly prepare. We want to make sure that we do put on the whole armor of God. We want to make sure that we're feeding ourselves, that we're strong, and that when you know troubles come and that dark time comes, that we'll be able to persevere. And God will bring us through. And, you know, you got that Psalm 23 sometimes where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's not just for the funeral, you know. You read that a lot of times at a funeral, but sometimes it feels like you're going through, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't see nothing but just blackness on both sides. Tonight I want to tell you a little bit of a story, and I hope you don't mind that tonight. We've had a lot of preaching, and and uh, I read a book as I... I I like to read a lot of uh, history, and I, and I like World War II history especially. And again, not just Americans. This is a, a Norwegian story. And um, I read this book, and, and it, it's just the most amazing, I think, story of perseverance I have ever read. And, you know, that may not seem like much, but I've read a lot of books. I mean, a lot of books. And they, they, they probably bought me, between my brother and my wife and some people at the church, they probably bought me a stack of books this big for Christmas. And I read them books. And I like reading them books. And I got this book that uh, my wife bought me, and she said, you need to read this book. And uh, I got that book, I started reading it, and I said, wow, this is amazing. And, and in the beginning... In the foreword of the book, there was a writer that I read a lot of his books. And he's a, a famous writer, Stephen Ambrose. Who knows Stephen Ambrose? Ever hear of his name? A few of you younger guys. He's an older guy. He just died a little while ago. Uh, he wrote uh, the, the book for Band of Brothers and some of those ones. And his, uh, his son, uh, Hugh Ambrose, just wrote that new series, The Pacific. I've not seen it. I didn't even know that Band of Brothers was a, like, a, like a, they put it in, you know, a movie form or something like that. I didn't know. I, I just read books. And then, you know, I find these things out. Um, and I haven't seen these other things. But, but let me tell you, you know, Stephen Ambrose is a big-time historian. And he goes all over. He's been in this country all over, in France. He studies, I, I, think, if, I think he's English, if I remember correctly. But he is a historian, and he, he writes all kinds of books. And he wrote in the foreword, it caught my eye, because some other guy wrote this book. But in the foreword, there's a foreword by Stephen Ambrose, and it said, there's, there's, there's about three books in my life that I've read and kind of just read for pleasure that I couldn't put down. And he named them, and this book was one of them. I said, hmm, I better read this book. And the book is about this man. It's centered about the life of this uh, guy named Jan, I can hardly say his last name, it's like B-A-A-L-S-R-U-D, like, I don't know how you would say it, like Balsrud or something, it's a Norwegian name, Jan, you know, J-A-N, we call him. And so, so Jan is this character in this true story, World War II, and, and this is in, uh, uh, you know, the early 40s, what, what uh, this Norwegian does is he has a heart for his place. Of course, it's, it's Nazi-occupied. And so he goes to England. He makes his way to England. And he wants to go back and fight. But there's not much you can do in this. You know, Norway is up in the middle of nowhere, and there's just small occupation, and, and it's a supply place where they're taking, you know, people and goods and war, you know, materials from one place to another. So the English come up with this idea that what we need to do is we need to be able to sabotage 
you know, what's going on and stop the German war machine. And so they come up really with a brilliant plan to train four Norwegian commandos. And so they're trained here in England. They train these four Norwegians. They put them through all this stuff. You know, we're talking about getting strong. Now, this guy's going to go through it when he gets there. He's 26 years old, but when he leaves, he's a strapping young man. You know what I mean? He's like 170 pounds, and, and he is, he's a commando. So 12 people set out to go over to Norway for two reasons. One, to teach the Norwegians, to train all the Norwegians they can to be saboteurs and to try to stop the German war machine. The other thing is a secondary thing where they bring a lot of explosives and everything, and they're going to try to, you know... Um, just uh, really caused massive devastation at this air you know, port and, and some of the operations that the Germans have. So 12 of them set out. 12 Norwegians set out. The rest of the crew really has to do with the ship and, and handling of the ship. They go in March, which is not a great time from what I understand to go up there. I can't imagine these waters. I see the English Channel. I see these waters around these places. I've been up in Scotland, and I look and I say, my goodness, I don't want to be out there. I've been out there in the Caribbean and places like that, and the idea of going out there in the middle of freezing water and everything else is just like, this is not a good idea. They decide to go during, the, you know, part of the equal, uh, uh, the uh, whatever you call the, uh, what do they call that when, uh, I know you have the summer solstice and all of that up in Scotland and all that, but the dark time, and up in Norway, from what I understand, um, when they're getting into March, it's still part of that dark time. They're trying to time it so that they can do these operations. The Germans are watching the waters and everything. But from what I understand, the, the weather is not good. And it's just at that critical point where maybe the weather's starting to change and they're thinking, maybe we should, we should, we should wait, you know, for better weather. But then they say, if we wait for better weather, then you know, we're going to have more hours of daylight and we're not going to be able to carry on these operations. We're not going to be able to sneak in. So they decide it's a go. We pack everyone up. You know, the, these uh, eight, you know, uh, really Navy type of guys, these, you know, regular seamen are ready to go out and handle these waters. They, they pack up this big, you know, uh, fishing vessel and, and they kind of try to sneak in to this area. So um, they leave... Um, you know, from quite a distance, and they have to sail up to the top of Norway. So they come in way up at the top, and they are able to come in under darkness, and, and they are able to come in, and, and they they're find the shallow water where they can drop the anchor, and they arrive. So they, they set out towards the beach, they make landfall, and then from there, they have to try to go to a store where there was a man that was supposed to be there to kind of meet them. Of course, everything in those days, you know, you don't have cell phones. You can't just text them. Hey, I'm on my way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not the way it was. Word was sketchy. Was this guy there to meet them? They're in, you know, occupied territory. Everyone, you know, is not a friendly. Even, even Jan had not been to this particular spot. You know what I mean? Sometimes Americans think that if you just, you know, if you're Norwegian and you land in Norway, then you're like at home, you know? And that would be like, you know, dropping you off, you know, up in the top of Scotland and saying, oh, you should know everybody, you know? And even though it's, it's rural and there's, there's less people even up there, 
Ice is everywhere. You get the picture, freezing cold up in the Arctic. This is, this is rough country. I come from New York, and I handle some weather. I've been way up in New Brunswick in Canada where it's 40 below, and my nose hairs are like frozen solid just walking to the car. I can't imagine being up there, you know, and people do that. We were out on the street. I was freezing. We were out there. I was good until I stopped, and I was talking with that guy, and my feet like just froze solid. And when I, when I think of those things and I read stories like this, I go, oh, man, this has got to be bad. So they go up there. They're out on the land. They head over. They take part of their crew to go over to this store. When they meet this guy, it's the wrong guy, but they don't know it. This guy was supposed to be a trusted guy. He actually had the same name as the guy they were supposed to meet. What an unlucky coincidence. He's not a Nazi, but he's not a true patriot, and he's trying to decide, what do I do? Do I turn him in, or do I risk getting in trouble, and all this kind of thing? They say, we need help, we need someone to do this, and we're going to have to unload these supplies, we need somewhere to stick all this, you know, dynamite or whatever they got, C4, I have no idea what they got packed in there, but they got to unload it. So they make their way back, and he says, you know, I'll make a phone call. Well, this guy's pacing back and forth, and ultimately he decides to phone it in to the authorities. So here this guy at the store phones him in. Next thing you know, just at first light, here comes this ship around the way. And all of a sudden they're there. These guys realize they're in their ship, 12 Norwegians, and here comes, you know, the Nazi, you know, small cruiser. But, man, they don't have guns. They got like a fishing vessel and a couple of machine guns. So they try to get in the boat the little rubber raft on this side, trying to shield themselves with the boat to try to make land on this side while the Nazi boat's coming in here. But by the time they get about, you know, halfway over here, the Nazi boat gets to where they could see these guys escaping, and they start shooting. And sure enough, man, they sink that little boat like nothing fast. These guys go into these chilling waters, and, and they've got to swim to shore. Jan, of course, is there among them. He heads up. They get out on the, the, uh, the, uh, the land, and then the Nazis come, and they, they anchor. There's some Gestapo agents there. They come, and they start shooting and raking everyone with machine gun fire. These guys are freezing. These guys are cold. One of them gets killed right off the bat. Jan decides to head up this hill, and there's some hills up here, and it's, it's, it's you know, almost straight up in spots. So here he is trying to, you know, run through the snow. He just got done, you know, having this swim, and he's trying to make his way up through the snow. The guys on the land don't know what to do. They're in a panic. And, and really, I think the one command, one was, one commando was dead. Jan was the other commando. He's heading up the hill as best he can. The other two commandos decide to give up, and the Navy, you know, really not Navy guys, but the, the guys that are the sea guys, they give themselves up. And, you know, the first thing that I seen in that book, because when you start reading through it, you see later what happens to these guys that gave up. These guys, if you would have asked them later, should we have given up, they would have said anything would have been, you know, better than giving ourselves up to these Nazis because of what they did to them. And it was so bad that even in the book that I read, they wouldn't really record all the events, and they said, Too, yeah, we can't even put it in print. That's basically what they said. The first lesson that I learned, when I'm saying perseverance, what we're supposed to do, yes, we got to make sure that we're fit. we got to make sure we're ready to go. But we got to make sure 
that we don't just turtle, we don't just give in when it gets rough, when we get scared, when you get spooked, you do a lot of crazy things. And right away, you know, their first reaction was, let me just give up and it'll be better. And I'm telling you, you know, wherever you're at tonight, giving up is not the, 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 the key. It may look bad. It may look rough. It may look like we're not going to make it out of here. But don't give up. Anything is, worse, you know, anything is better than giving in to the enemy and just saying, you know, take me and everyone with me. Because when these two commandos made that decision, then they, you know, the rest of them just, you know, followed suit. And so, you know, that's, that's trouble. That's trouble when we just give up. After that, next thing that happens is Jan is up on this hill. They start coming up after him. Now, Jan is saying, I'm not going to give up. He's of a different mind. He's of a different spirit. And the first Gestapo guy comes up, and he's able to hide kind of behind this rock and shield himself a little bit. He gets the first guy. Typical American story. He's got to include guns. Excuse me. Um, It'll be over soon. Um, but uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but anyways, uh, that, guy, that guy gets killed, and then the other guy, he wounds, and then the rest of them are kind of just uh, these guys that are up in Norway that are really not, um, you know, real fighters like, like you know, the frontline, you know, German guys were. They, they were just kind of there, you know, t- you know having a duty, and, they, and they, they go running off. So here's, you know, Jan up in this hill, clothes soaking wet. They go down, and they're going to end up coming back searching for him. But first they say, we're going to take care of the prisoners that we got. And so he's out of danger at that moment. So he's thinking, what do I do? I know they're going to come back for me. He's up there, and he's freezing. He's shivering. He says, I've got to do something. So he says, I can't stay here. So he makes his way down the other side of the hill, he can still see people on the shore over there, and he sees a, an island over there, and he thinks, they're going to come back here, and I can't go that way. He says, i got to get to that island. The only way to that island is to get in the water. 200 yards to the island. He just swam. He just ran. Think about it. He's, like, exhausted. I was thinking about playing vol- or, uh, you know, dodgeball. I was like dying, just jumping around over there. This guy's run up a hill, swam, freezing. He jumps in the water. He goes through the water, and he gets over to this island, and there's like this little shrubbery and little tree and stuff, and he's like, he's like hiding you know, behind it like this. And he's there, and it, and it gets dark and everything. He sees the searchlights and all this stuff, and he's sitting back there. And he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And, and, he, and he's just going from one you know, thing to the next to the next, just trying to survive. And... Um, he thinks, I've got to get away from here. I can't go that way. He sees another, it's like another island. It's more of the big island over here. Not the mainland. As you know, up in Norway, there's all these little islands and all these connecting little places. He says, I've got to get over there. There's, there's probably some houses over there. And so he's got to make another swim. And he says, it's, it's swim or die. I've got no choice. He jumps in the water and he swims over. As he gets, you know, getting closer and closer, he starts to where, I mean, he, he can't hardly make it. He gets there, he's just about numb. He washes up on the shore, and he's half passed out. And when he comes to, there's a couple of, you know, little Norwegian girls that are looking at him really odd and kind of scared. But he, he, you know, he's Norwegian, so he starts to talk with them, and he says, I need help, I need help. 
And once he started talking to the girl, the girl, you know, kind of cheered up and, okay, you know, I, he's talking to me and, you know, he looked scary. He looked like he, you know, was a dead man, you know, washed up on the shore. So they kind of lead him over to this house and he comes in and he's a sight. He comes walking in this door and, um, he, you know, there's two women in the house, an older woman and a younger woman. And, you know, he walks in there, and they look at him, and they're like, they're, they're almost awestruck and afraid. And they go, what is this? This guy this comes out of the sea. And, and all of a sudden, they realize really what a bad state he was in and just about collapsing on the floor. And, you know, that, that motherly instinct that, you know, we got to save him no matter what. Now, you got to remember, the, the Nazis are there. You know, you pay a, a big price for helping people out and all this thing, and there's fear. But they said, we don't care about that. we got to take care of this guy. And they try to bundle him in. They take him. And he's there for a couple of days. He starts to heal up. And then they decide, we, you can't stay here. If you stay here, you stay here, they're going to find you. And we've got to keep you alive. You're, a, you know, you're something special. You came from England. I mean, you're, you're somebody that's going to do something. You know what I mean? And they've seen this value. And in, in, in their own way, it was like, I can, I can fight the enemy. I can do something. I can put my little, you know, two cents in and, and help this man get across. And if, and if he can get across, there's, there's some people over on that side that I'm sure will, will help him because he's got to go yet to another spot to get over towards the mainland. So the, there's a boy there, brave young boy. He says, I'll take him. I can take him. I can take him in the water. And uh, so, you know, they, they kind of think about it for a little while and say, okay, I guess, I guess that'll be all right. We got to do this. And they get on into that boat. And uh, he, he had lost his, his, uh, his combat boots that he had. They put on, they put on these like sea boots that the, the, the guy that was fishing was gone, but they had these old sea boots. So he puts these old sea boots on and they load them into this kind of little, you know, dingy kind of, you know, little uh, boat, and they go in the water, and this brave young lad, you know, rows him across, rows him across, rows him across. He thanks him, and he heads out. And so, you know, here, um, here he, he's got to get from that spot, he's got to go up over another hill to where the houses are. So he's in sea boots, and this is mountainous, Arctic territory. You know, he doesn't have skis, and so he's got to, like, clonk in like this, clonk in like this, and try to go up these hills and, and, and go up these ways, and he's going and he's going. We're talking perseverance. This guy, he, he says, you know, you know, I've got this, you know, no-die attitude. Why does he have a, you know, I'm not going to quit attitude? Because, number one, he says, I am not going to, you know, let them kill me. He goes, I have a will to live. His second, you know, thing is, I've got such a hate for the Nazis, and I can't, I can't bear to just give in to them. And so this is driving him. And as us as Christians, we ought to be being driven by, you know, the love of our Lord. I love God. I love others. I'm not going to quit because, as we mentioned this morning, if I quit, others are going to, you know, suffer because of what happens to me. And so I can't, I can't quit. And so he's thinking, you know, I, 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 I gotta live. I've gotta make it through this because, you know, people are counting on me. So he decides, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going. He's up there and he's wandering around. He's, he's in these, um, he's in, uh, uh, this area trying to get to the next house. They, you know, they recorded it later about 28 hours. This guy is out there trying to get up. Think of that. I mean, that's like a day 
and a night, and then some. And he's got to go up and get to the, this, this house. And he gets there. By the time he gets there, he's a mess. I mean, by this, this time, you know, he's, 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 he's all, you know, half, you know, uh, frostbitten and everything else. But they let him into this house. There's a man there called uh, uh, Marius. And uh, he decides, you know, I don't know what to do, but I think I'm going to help him. What's, what, what can we do? They says, well, th- really the ultimate place you've got to get is over here. But to go over there, you've got to go over, you know, like 10 miles of water. And in this condition, with the, with the storm outside and the snow blowing and everything else, going across there in the blackness, it is not a good deal. And he's going, I don't even know if we can make it. And he's trying to decide, what do I do? Do I help this guy? Do I not help this guy? Yeah, I got skis. He could borrow skis. He can go over there. Maybe he can get away. Ultimately get, you know, to, you know, Sweden. And, you know, that's the first time where he starts to contemplate. I've got to get out of this minute by minute, jumping from one thing to another thing, and ultimately have a goal in mind to get away. And, you know, as I'm reading this, the Lord's speaking to me and saying, you know, sometimes we're jumping from like fire to fire to fire to fire. And, you know, really we got to keep, you know, the, the ultimate goal, you know, survival, getting out, doing something, getting back to our unit, you know, making an impact, impacting our world like we talked about this week, you know, because if I don't have an ultimate goal, then this is nothing. This, this, this stuff that I'm going through, this, this pain, this agony, you know, we talk about just going through the cold 28 hours, but, but live it in the blackness, trying to make your way and get there. He gets, he, you know, the, the, the guy's trying to decide, do I help him? I don't even know if I can make it. This 72-year-old guy comes down, his father, and he says, what are you talking about and all this stuff? And he tells him the dilemma. He goes, we can go across the sound. Let me tell you, my boy. He says, in my day, he says, it was iron men and wooden ships. He says, now we got a lot of iron ships and wooden men. He goes, matter of fact, I was at the doctor's only yesterday, and there was a boy in there, you know, a teenage boy, strapping young boy, and they said, what's wrong with your boy? And he's sick, he's not feeling well. Why are you not feeling well? And his mother said, he got his feet wet. Boy, let me tell you, I've been getting my feet wet for 70-something years, and we can row across that, no big deal. And so, you know, Jan says, okay, you know, if you think so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous to go across, but I'll, I'll go if you think so. And he goes, that's going. And so they get in the ship, you know, little boat again, and they roar across. You know, he decides, Jan decides, I'm going to row because, you know, I'm going to help this old man. And, and as he gets out there, he's not a sailor. He gets out there, he can't row that thing. And that 72-year-old man says, give me that boy. I can see you don't know what you're doing. He, he rows with his son, and, and, they, and they get across. And, um, you know, uh, it's an amazing thing that they even made it across. The next thing that happens is, again, now this is, this is days. You've got to think of, we're talking perseverance. This is not just a one-day thing. He gets his skis. He starts to ski across, and he's got an uphill ski. He uphill skis to a point where, you know, he can go here and there, but a storm breaks out. He's trying ultimately to get to the top where, and he wouldn't even have made it to Sweden, but he really didn't realize that. He's, he's got to get to a point where he can at least get to the other side and at least continue getting help and getting food and all of this because he doesn't have this. It seems easy where we can just, you know, ski to Sweden, but, but boy, it's a long way. 
And so he starts skiing, and he gets into a, this blinding snowstorm. He can't see where he's going. And ultimately, he gets into this you know, position where he's in an avalanche, and he comes crashing down the hill. This really happened to this guy. After, after swimming, after doing all this stuff, he's, he comes crashing down this hill, and he's stuck you know, half in the snow. When he comes to, he realizes, i got to get out of here. Ski's over here. This is over here. And he starts wandering around. He's wandering around, wandering around. You know, and I wrote it down in my notes because I didn't want to forget. Four days is what they said he was wandering around. Now, again, Steve Ambrose is a guy that you know, documents everything. He read this story. This guy went over here like shortly after the war, interviewed all these people. They documented all this stuff like it really happened. Four days after that ambush, he's walking around. After, after like the second day, he gets snow blindness where his, he's completely blind. He can't see nothing. And yet he will not quit. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep going. And it's a miracle that he ever found anyone because they said he like wandered up and down and then he would find like his own track in the snow and he's like wandering back and forth, wandering back and forth. And somehow God got him to this log cabin in the middle of nowhere and he feels it like this and he comes through the door and he's totally frozen and everything else like this and he collapses on the floor of course the people there start taking care of him and so when they take care of him they put him up by this time he has got frostbite completely all over him his feet are so bad they start taking snow and rubbing it on his legs because that's the treatment i guess for frostbite they start working on him, working on him, working on him, trying to help this guy. But he's in agony. He's in agony. At this point, he's a cripple. There's nothing that he, they can do. They, there's nothing they can do to help him. They said, what do we do? We've got to feed him. They start feeding him, and they decide, you know, we've got to get him out of here because the German patrols come through here, and how do we, how do we get him out of here? And, you know, they, they realize that, you know, they've got to get him up the hill. They've got to get him to, to meet there's a town on the other side, and they said, if we can get them to that town, they can get them to these people that are called the Laps. They're like these Norwegian nomads that drive the reindeer from one end to the other. And if we can get them with those people, we don't have any contacts with them. We don't really speak their language, but if we can get them with them, they could take them over to Sweden, and he could be safe. So they devised this plan to, to try to help this, this guy. And so they, they, they load them in this cart, like kind of like a sled, like a little sleigh that they make, and they have to tie them all up in a sleeping bag, and they have to get three big guys to help them up the hill. And so it's not, the first part is a hill, but the second part's a mountain. And so it takes them hours and hours and hours. One guy breaks his ribs, and I mean, I could be here all night telling you the story of what happened along the way. And it's an amazing thing they even got him up there the whole time. He's in agony because his feet are hanging down. He's, he's you know, upside down. This is going on, and, he, and he's hurting the whole way. They get him up to the top, and they see that there's nobody there. The people that were supposed to meet with them are not there. Again, a snowstorm starts raging. At they're at the top of the mountain. They say, what can we do? Here's this guy. What do we do? We just you know, leave him for dead? They can't leave him for dead. I mean, we can't leave this guy here. But they say, we're all going to die. And, he's, and he bravely says, look at you're going to die if you just, you know, if you just, we all sit here together. you got to go down and get help. So they decide to lower him into this hole by this rock. There's like this drop in the snow, and they lower him down in this place. He's in the, in the, in the snow, 
And um, they, they make their way back down, the guy with the broken ribs and everything else. And so they send word, and, and they say, okay, we're going to go get this guy. And, they, you know, it takes a long time to get word. And this guy's in this place. It's killing the guy that took him up. He's in there for like a whole day, and he says, I'm, I'm hoping that they reach him, and I hope that he can survive. They gave him a little thing of brandy. That's about all they had, this little thing of brandy. And he would just sit sitting there on his cart and just kind of like sip it a little bit. He's there for the first day, but the snowstorm starts to cover over the hole. And when the skiers come up from the other side, they get over to him, and they can't find him. They start skiing around, skiing around, skiing around, and... They don't see nothing. They end up skiing back down. He's in that hole for like three or four more days in this hole. And and the way he stays alive is he stays busy. He keeps his mind busy. He pulls the cork out. His fingers are numb. He can't hardly do it. He's got to make sure it doesn't spill. It doesn't, you know, go over. He doesn't lose the cork. He sits there like this, you know, and he takes a little sip every, you know, number of hours, you know, and, 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 and he, you know, the Lord told me, you know, stay busy, stay alive. You know, I, so, so many times in my life, I seem to complain that I'm busy. And, and the Lord says, you're busy. You know, that's the way I'm keeping you out of trouble. That's the way I'm keeping you going. That's the way I'm keeping you alive. You know, sometimes I think, you know, how in the world, you know, can I go on? But, but you know, the Lord makes it very clear to me, stay busy. That's the way you stay alive. If you just give up, if you don't persevere, if you just give up, if you just give in, if you just sit there and say, it's not worth it. I'm in too much pain. I'm going through too much trouble. It's too black. The thing's been covered over, and and there's no hope for me. But he didn't think that. He's thinking, you know, I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to stay alive. And even after it's been weeks, he says, I'm going to stay alive. So when they finally get word down on this bottom of the hill that no one went up there, they didn't find them, this guy's beside himself. He says, I've got to go up there. And he says, I, I got to get his body out of there. There's no way anyone could survive that. But, but they had built up a relationship. He spent days, you know, over by his house. He had put him in this cave. And that's a whole another part of the story that compromised about two weeks where he was feeding them. But this guy down on the bottom of the hill says, I've got to go up there and take care of this young man. I cannot leave his body up there. He means too much to me. He was trained in London. All of these, not in London, in England somewhere. And so he goes up, he goes up the hill with this, this, uh, this uh, Norwegian girl. She's the only one that's there, not fishing. They said that she was a strong girl, a great skier, and normally wouldn't be a job for a girl, but, but um, that uh, he had really no choice. He could not go up there by himself. So she goes with him, and they make the ascent. They get back up to the top. When he finds the rock where Jan is inside that hole, he starts digging it away, digging it away, digging it away. He goes, he's got to be here, he's got to be here, he's got to be here. And all of a sudden, boom, the hole opens up. And he sees, you know, that emaciated man with his eyes kind of like sunk in, you know, in his eye sockets. And he says, don't look, don't look. He says, you know, it's, it's too horrible to look. And the snow's blowing, you know, in there. And he says, don't look, he's dead. And as soon as he said he's dead, Jan's in there, and this whole time he's been in there, and he's, he's, he's unconscious. But the whole time he's been fighting off death, saying, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in to the Nazis. They're not going to get me. 
I've got this will to live. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. And, and, and he's unconscious. But all of a sudden, in his unconscious state, he hears, he's dead. And it like almost made him mad. Like, and he yelled, no, I'm not. As, you know, as much as he could in that state, he said, no, I'm not dead. You know, and they said he said a couple of four-letter words. I'm not dead. And, and he's amazed. And he says, you, you can't kill an old fox, you know, old Norwegian saying. And so, so they, they said, you know, what, what can we do? You know, we have to get him out of here. We got to do something, you know. And they didn't, they didn't expect that. And so um, they start doing what they can for him. And he leaves food, takes out of his pack, and, and he's going, we gotta, what are we going to do? Well, all of a sudden they look at the girl that's with them, and they realize she's, on, you know, nigh unto death. She's about froze to death. And as soon as Jan looks over and sees really her state, he says, you've got to get it. You've got to get out. Got it. You know, he, he forgets about himself again and says, you've got to take care of, you've got to take care of her. And, and, you know, he doesn't want to leave him, but he says, I, I don't know what else to do. I, we're going to have to. We will send help. We will send help. So they end up going down. And the whole way down, you know, the woman is, is falling down. And she's almost, you know, almost to where she can't go any further. And it says that, that that guy, he had to start like treating her really rough and yelling at her and like, you know, hitting her a little bit and like, keep going, you know? And, 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 and really, he wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't, you know, love her. It wasn't that he didn't care about her. It was that, you know, he wanted to see her get down to the hill. He, 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 he loved her. And, you know, sometimes when, when we're in that dark valley and... You know, we, we're getting rough treatment. We talked a little bit about it today where, you know, things are happening and we don't really realize what God is doing. And really it's for our benefit. And had she not kept going, if she had resisted him, if she had fought him, she would have been dead, he would have been dead because he wasn't going to leave her. And we've got to make sure that, you know, when, when we get the rough treatment, that we say, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to keep going and, and realize that it's for our benefit. They get her down there. She ends up surviving. And it's kind of funny. They ended up getting married at the end, you know, and, and uh, that's all a whole nother thing. But they, they end up sending a party to come up and get this guy. They get him. They take him over. They want to take him over to where the laps are, but they're, the reindeer are, are, you know, way far away. They're not... They're, they haven't migrated this close at this time. So they get to the top of the hill, and again, there's no one to meet. They set up a little somewhat shelter that they could make, and he's sitting out there in this sleeping bag. He spent like almost four weeks in this sleeping bag with these black legs, and I mean, and he survived. He's sitting up there, and every day they would come up and down and, and up the mountain and, and bring him food and every couple of days, you know, and he sat out in the open for, I mean, it was just like an crazy amount of time. During this time, he realizes I've got gangrene in my legs. It's, it, and he says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die. He's got this little pocket knife. And now, now this time he's like almost like a, he can't do nothing. He says, I've got to do something for this gangrene. He starts cutting off his toes. It's a three days it took him to cut his toes. I mean, can you imagine? He's, he's taking these toes, and, 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 he, and he can't bear the sight of looking at them because there's joints and everything, and it takes all this time to do it. 
and, and he can't throw them. So he's, put, he's putting them out where he can't see them, out of his sight, like this. Finally, they meet up with the people, and, you know, the laps end up do coming. He wakes up, and there's reindeer in his face, you know, and they, they end up scooting off, and, and you know, they're, they're hoisting them to safety. A couple things happen along the way where there's danger of wolves, and they're gonna, wolves are going to get them, and all this other stuff, and he's there alone. And the scary part about that is, is you know, up until that point, he wasn't really afraid of dying, and he wasn't really afraid of anything. But all of a sudden, when you're alone, and when you start, he was fearing those wolves, you know, there's nothing that can bring on the despair, really like fear. You start getting a fear, getting alone. You know, we've had a great week this week, but you know, sometimes you get into a place and things aren't going well, and all of a sudden it seems to just come down on you like a ton of bricks. And if you don't go to God, if you don't, if you don't, you know, persevere, you got to remember that on the other side, the sun is shining. There's hope on the other side. He had a will to live. He was going to persevere no matter what. They, the story goes, they, they took him across, and then the, the Nazis out ended up um, chasing him, and they had to go across to a frozen lake, and it's just a whole big, long story of rivers and this and that, all the way to where he finally gets to Sweden. And he makes to Sweden the whole way. The whole thing takes, it's, 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 it's like, you know, not quite three months, but it's like, it's, it's the most amazing journey of survival that I've ever read in anything in any time. It's, it's amazing that he lived. When he got in there, the surgeon that was going to help him, they debated what they were going to do with his legs, and they said, we could try to save him. I don't know if it's going to work. But he said, because these toes are missing, he goes, who was your surgeon? And he was kind of like chuckling, you know. When they took him down off that hill, he was like 80-something pounds. 80-something pounds from this strapping young guy, and he survived this whole thing. And um, not only does he survive, seven months after he had left his unit, he ended up going back to his unit here in England. That guy came back. And he, his desire was so strong that he wanted to go back in the line. He wanted to go back and do the job that they had, you know, laid out for him. At the capitulation, he was in Norway. He was working, doing the job. And he was able to contribute to the war effort because he didn't give in, because he didn't surrender, because, you know, he survived. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we have the meeting and we, we're on cloud nine, you know, and things are going well and we're excited. We want to get back and all that. But I'm trying to encourage you. You say, what is the purpose of all this? This is really weird that you're talking to us about all this. The purpose of this is the devil attacks soon as you get done with a meeting like this. You'll go out of here and all of a sudden, boom. Something will happen, and you'll think, boy, I was, I was just up here spiritually, and I'll, now I'm like, I mean, you know, everything's coming in from all sides. 
And what you're going to have to realize is that God's in control. He's still God. He still loves you. And you're going to have to persevere. And you're going to have to say, Lord, get me through this. I know you still love me. You loved me at the meeting. You loved me at this time. And you loved me through this, through this path, through this time. You know, they say if you're not going through a, a, a war or a trouble or a storm, you're going to be going one. You know, it's either you're coming out of one, you're getting into one, you're going out of one. You know, it's like, you know, it's like you're cycling. And so we have mountaintops and valleys. And I'm just trying to prepare you a little bit. Because sometimes we get to a meeting and we think, it, it was wonderful, and, and I'm glad it was wonderful. It was a wonderful meeting. I was encouraged by just what happened here, you know, what we did on the street, and just the unity that we felt together, and all that the Lord did amongst us while we were together. But it's not all about that. You're going to go out, you're going to have some bumps, you're going to have some troubles along the way. And you're going to have to persevere. And you're going to have to take it to the Lord. Tonight, I just want to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Curtis. I want to pray for you that, that you would do what you said you were going to do. That you would stay the course. That you would prepare. Some of that you did tonight. You know, some of that you did yesterday. You've been preparing. You've been putting on the whole armor of God. You're going to have to continue to do this. And you're going to have to get ready now to go out there and impact your world. Now you go out and meet the enemy. It's not that we just sit around all in here and we just say that was a wonderful time. We've got a job to do. And so we've got to keep that goal in mind. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for these people patiently listening to me, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray... Lord, that they would get the idea that, Lord, uh, there's always someone that's going through something, Lord, uh, physically worse than them, mentally worse than them. Lord, we're all in different, you know, different spots in this thing. Lord, we've, we all have had trouble. This young man, Lord, I know that when he tried to express himself, no one really understood what he went through. And Lord, I know there's people in here that have gone through some things, and if they were to try to express themselves to someone else, Lord, they, they wouldn't understand. And what do you say when you've gone through something? And Lord, I don't know if someone has gone, I don't know why you've had me really preach this tonight in this fashion, but Lord, maybe there's someone that's going through something right now. And Lord, they need, Lord, some help. And Lord, for those that are not going through it, Lord, those that are on the mountaintop, Lord, I pray that they would know that you're good on the mountaintop. And Lord, when... They have to go through a test or go through a trial. Lord, that's not something exciting that we think about, that we want, that we desire. But, Lord, you're good in good times and bad. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to stay true to their commitments, the things that you've uh, just impressed upon their heart. Help us, Lord, to go out and impact our world. Thank you for this church, the churches, Lord, that have come to visit and, and be part of this conference. Thank you, Lord, for just... Uh, them uh, really just uh, accepting me, putting up with me this week. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bless them dearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.